Hey, we're on our series called Holy Spirit, a Difference Maker. We're going to be closing the door on that series today. We're going to be finalizing it. It's going to be the last installment of that. So we'll have CDs. Those have been asking about, hey, what, when this is going to be in cases, and we'll be doing that after today. This is the last one. So if you would, get your Version Bible uh, notes out. You can do that on your app, or you can get your sermon notes out of the worship guide. If you brought your Bibles, I hope you did. You're going to need them today. Let's open them up to Acts chapter 2. Woo! Holy Spirit, a difference maker. We've established in this series, uh, this one thing's for certain, that the Holy Spirit makes a difference in our lives. He makes a difference. And so if we want to talk about Holy Spirit, and sometimes in church maybe the Holy Spirit has been somewhat of a perceived controversial subject. So when you want to talk about a subject that might be controversial or may just have a number of broad opinions on it, it's important who you ask or who you get advice from. If I want to know something about a certain topic, I want to go to someone who knows it very well. If I'm going to base my thoughts or feelings on a subject or what I think is possible, what I think can happen or what can't happen, I want to talk to somebody who's an expert about it. If I want to talk, if I want to be better, understand about hitting a baseball, I don't want to interview or a softball. I don't want to interview a guy or a gal that's batting 120. If you don't know anything about baseball or softball, that's not good. If I, if I want to know how to cook, you know, if I want to know how to do something in the kitchen, what a possible to put together, I don't want to talk to someone who struggles to put a good piece of toast together. You want to talk to an expert. So when I think about the Holy Spirit, there's two people that come to my mind in the Bible. Number one, let's, let's back up. Number one, if you want to base your opinion on the Holy Spirit, you need to go to the Bible. And so I hope you've got your Bible because I'm in this particular teaching, sometimes when we go to like one story or one scripture and we kind of just elaborate on that story and we pull out different things, I, on this topic I like to be what I'd call Bible heavy. Bible heavy because I don't want you to believe anything because Chad says so. I want you to believe something because you see it in your Bible. So when you're just looking at the screens, I could make that up. But if you bring your Bible, I can't make up stuff in your Bible. That's why you need to bring your Bible or if you've got your phone. I realize we're in a digital age, where, so that's cool. I'm not against Bible on your phone. I'm just thinking sometimes you need to have that separation between your phone and have another world to go into called the Bible you know, I'm not judging. I'm just saying some things that God's shown me, sometimes I want you to come out of that world, get in the Bible, get off of that. So anyway, what was I saying? So it's important. See, that's what happens when you chase rabbits. Shoot him and move on. <laughs> so we're talking about the Holy Spirit. How important is it? Two, two experts. That's what I want to talk about. The two experts that I want to talk to, talk to about the Bible, Jesus and Paul. I'm going to, Jesus is a pretty good authority on all things the Bible. He knows a little bit about the Bible. And then Paul, the Apostle Paul, wrote up to most think maybe 13 out of the 27 books of the Bible. So those are my two experts that I'm going to go to. So you need to go to the Bible and then you need to go to what do experts say on it. So let's look at what Jesus said about the Holy Spirit. If he's the first expert we're going to reference, then I want to look at what he said. In Luke 24, 49, you don't have to look these up, but I'll show them to you on the screen. Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry or wait in the city of Jerusalem until you're endued with power from on high. 
Then Acts 1-4, Luke's writing, and, Acts, and he says this about Jesus and being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, this is Jesus talking again, you have heard from me, from me, for John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Jumping on down to verse 8, what happens when you're baptized with the Holy Spirit? It says, you shall receive power, everybody say power, when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. That upon you is very important. You shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the end of the earth. He also spoke about the Holy Spirit in the book of John, the Gospel of John, chapter 14, verse 26. He says, but the Helper... The Holy Spirit will come. He will teach you all things. So all things that we need to be taught, we need the Holy Spirit. If we're going to be taught things about God, we cannot do that apart from the Holy Spirit. That's what Jesus was saying. In John 16, 7, he went on to say, Jesus was talking again. He said, it's to your advantage that I go away. Because if I don't go away, then the helper, the Holy Spirit, won't come. So now Jesus has the audacity to tell us that it's better for him to go to heaven and the Holy Spirit to come. So is the Holy Spirit important? According to Jesus, he is. Then in Mark 16, Jesus said this, and these signs will follow those who believe. In my name, they will cast out demons and they will speak with new tongues. This is Jesus talking. He said these signs will follow those who believe. He didn't say these signs will follow those in a certain church denomination. There were no church denominations. He said these signs will follow those who believe. They will follow these signs. Number one, he says there's demons and they need to be cast out. So we just have to have a reality. It's not to look for demons in your birthday cake. I'm just saying there are demons in the world and they are to be cast out by believers. That's a separate message, but it's a good point. So we need to cast out him. But the second thing Jesus said, and they will speak with new tongues. Jesus said that. He wasn't saying they will learn a foreign language. They will speak with a new tongue. So Jesus predicted that, if you will, that this will happen. So then now we find ourselves in Acts chapter 2. Again, Luke is writing. This is a fulfillment of what Jesus predicted there in Mark chapter 16. And when the day of Pentecost had fully come, verse 1, they were all with one accord in one place. All of them, remember Acts 1 tells us there were 120 people in the upper room. So it's not just the original 12 disciples. It's not just for the original apostles. 120 people, men and women, all in the upper room in one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. And it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them... Divided tongues or individual flames, that's what that means in the language, individual flames as of fire and one set upon each of them. Here's what we need to understand. An experience with the Holy Spirit is an individual experience. Notice what it says. Individual or divided tongues as of fire and one set upon each of them. You need to have your own experience with Holy Spirit. And you don't judge your experience with Holy Spirit based on what other people's experience with Holy Spirit is. You don't judge whether you want the Holy Spirit or not based on what you saw someone else do when they received Holy Spirit. It's individual flames of fire setting upon each of them. Nobody was left out. He's not a respecter of person. He didn't come in and set on the Pentecostal people. There were no denominations present. This was the church. These were all just followers of Jesus 
in a room and the Holy Spirit says, I'm going to come touch all y'all. And they were all, verse 4, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. So they got filled with the Holy Spirit first. We receive Holy Spirit first, filled with him. And then they began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance, or as I always like to say, as the Spirit told them what to say. So here's the fulfillment again of what Jesus said. These signs will follow those who believe they will speak with new tongues. And so now the Holy Spirit comes on the day of Pentecost, not to certain churches, to all believers. The Holy Spirit comes, and this is what happens when the Holy Spirit comes. There was no how-to manual on what to do when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. There was no one to teach them how to talk in tongues. No one had ever done it before. There was no denominational training. There was no doctrine. There was no, this is what we do in our church. There was none of that. The Holy Spirit came and they just all began to speak in tongues as the Spirit told them what to say. So this is very important for us to understand what tongues is about and its role in the Bible. So that's Jesus. Let me go to the second expert. Go over to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. That's where I'm going to spend most of our time today. The second expert that we're going to talk about is the Apostle Paul. Apostle Paul, again, wrote 13 at least. Uh, Most people, most scholars believe that, 13 of the 27 books of the New Testament. So he has a little bit of street cred about the things of the Bible. You know, we believe Paul, the great apostle Paul, when he said that by grace are we saved through faith. That's a great statement of Paul. We believe Paul when he says all things work together for the good of those who are called according to his purpose, for those who love God and those who are called according to his purpose. We believe, amen, Paul, that's a great scripture. We believe Paul when he said, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Amen. We believe Paul when he takes us on the Romans' road to salvation. We celebrate Paul as the greatest person of revelation in the Bible. We love Paul. But certain writings of Paul's have been left obscure. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, look what Paul said. The same one who said, we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Verse 1 of chapter 12, he says, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be ignorant. Or we could read that translation into our language of Southern Illinois. It would be, now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I don't want you to be ignorant. You take I, do not and you make don't. Want you and you say want you. It's all one word, want you to be ignorant. Just shorten that word. That's how we. So if Paul was talking to us, preaching, say, I want you to be ignorant. That's what he would say to us. And we'd be like, oh, okay. But if we say, I do not want you to be ignorant, I'd be like, wow, I'm not really sure I understand. I'm just playing. I'm just playing. I'm not uneducated. I just talk weird. So when we understand this principle, he said this, I do not want you to be ignorant. I'm going to say it proper for those that may be watching online. I don't want you to be ignorant. What does that mean? The word ignorance means to not know something through either lack of information or lack of intelligence. Not intelligence as in lack of capacity to understand. Not like stupid. It's not that. It's lack of intel. Like, hey, we got some new intel on something. We got some new intelligence. It's information. There's one thing about being ignorant because you don't know. He says, brethren, I don't want you to be ignorant about the spiritual gifts. 
I don't want you to be, I want you to have the information on what spiritual gifts are all about. That he's, that's what Paul is telling us. Then the other level of being ignorant is to not know or to ignore the information that's provided. To ignore it. Just say, ah, that's not for me. It's one thing to not know about something. It's one thing to know about it, to hear about it, and to ignore it. And both of them, Paul said, I don't want you to be that guy or that gal. I don't want you to say, I just don't know. He said, you won't be ignorant because I don't give you information. So this is what he says. I don't want you to be ignorant about spiritual gifts. Chapter 12. Then he goes on down to verse 7. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit. To another, the word of knowledge. We talked about this in our ministry time. Word of knowledge. These are gifts of the Holy Spirit through the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healings by the same Spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, discerning of spirits. To another, different kinds of tongues. Jesus said it. Now Paul says that there'll be different kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as he wills. All I want to pull out of this, we could teach on all of those gifts, but I just want to pull out that Paul is acknowledging that there is different kinds of tongues and interpretation of tongues. Paul said that. Same one who said we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God said there is tongues and there is interpretation of tongues. So it's in the Bible. It's not a doctrine thing for certain churches. It's just in our Bible. So Paul said, I don't want you to be ignorant about these things. I don't want you to not have the information and I sure enough don't want you to ignore them and pretend that they're not there. Because what happened when I was growing up, we taught out of uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 13 on a regular basis, but we never taught out of 1 Corinthians 12 or 1 Corinthians 13 or 14. It's like we had a sandwich of things. 13 was okay, 12 was not so good, and 14 was not so good. Let's just ignore them and not talk about them. We'll just focus on 13. And Paul said, don't be ignorant of spiritual gifts. So now some people have said, what tongues have ceased? They passed away. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. I want to address one of the scriptures that's been given to say that tongues is no longer for today. 1 Corinthians 13 verse 8. And I want to encourage you, this is why we study the Bible. And you need to study the original language. The New Testament was written in Greek and Aramaic. And I'm not trying to pretend to be a theologian. Uh, you know, I joke a lot about words, but I do study the Bible. I've, I put a lot of effort and time into learning and growing in, in understanding of the Bible. So I, I want to break down some things. I like for things to be made simple so we can understand because I think some people are ignoring because they've never been taught. I believe some people are afraid of the Holy Spirit, don't know about tongues because they've never heard a message on tongues. So here's what 13.8 says. Love never fails, but whether there are prophecies, they will fail. Whether there are tongues, they will cease. Whether there is knowledge, it will vanish away. For, now, for we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when that which is perfect has come, then that which is part will be done away with. Here's what's been pulled out. Verse 8. Love never fails, but whether there are prophecies, they will fail. Whether there are tongues, they will cease. They said tongues will cease. And they said, well, when, when will tongues cease? They say in verse 10, but when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part will be done away with. So they say, well, that which is perfect is the Bible. That when the Bible was canonized or put together, then the now we have the complete Bible so that now that we have the complete Bible, tongues has ceased. So let's break down that debate. 
Look what it says, love never fails. I gave you the definition for these words because I want you to understand the distinction. The, distinction. the word fail there means to fall or to stop or cease with the idea of failure. It doesn't mean it stops just because it uh, doesn't want to do it anymore. This word fail means to stop because it fails. Failure. Love never fails. That's another message, but I want you to know that love conquers all. Love will never fail. We will fail loving but love never fails. I want to preach that, but I don't have time to go there. Love itself will never fail. That's a good point. Amen. So now, but look at the next part. Stay with me. Love never fails, but whether there are prophecies. Now, prophecy is the ability to speak an inspired message or mind, the mind or counsel of God, an inspired word from God. Prophecies, they will fail. Now, hold on. We translated it, or they did, into the same English word, fail, but that's a different Greek word. This word means to cease, to happen, to no longer take place, to render useless. In other words, prophecy will come to a place where it won't happen because it's not useful anymore. You need to catch that distinction. Not because it failed, but because it's not needed. It's rendered useless. So that's about prophecies. Then let's look at tongues. It says, and then where there are tongues, they will cease. That word cease there, again, it's a different Greek word altogether that means to stop or cease from activity to come to an end. There will be a time when tongues will come to an end. So we understand that it will happen. Now notice what it says, where there is knowledge Knowledge, this is just what we know, it will vanish away or fade away. That word vanish away is the same Greek word as fail for prophecies. So knowledge will cease to happen. In other words, knowledge will be rendered useless at some point. What we know will be unnecessary at some point. It's what it's saying. So just like prophecy, knowledge will also be rendered useless. So now let's put these two together. Uh, knowledge will vanish away. For we know knowledge in part and we prophesy in part. Notice what it breaks down. Knowledge is in part what we know. We only have a little bit of knowledge. We, we're limited on our knowledge. We prophesy in part. We speak inspired words from God in part. But look what it says. But when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part will be done away. That done away means will be rendered useless. Is my knowledge rendered useless because we have the Bible? No. Is prophecy rendered useless because we have the Bible? No. The only way those things will be rendered useless, the Bible goes on to explain. But when that which is perfect has come, let's see what he's talking about. When I was a child, I spoke as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. Somewhere around 45 years old for men. But anyway, let's move on. So, <coughs> verse 12. <laughs> There's hope for me, baby. Wait a minute, I'm already past that age. Hey, I've arrived. Praise the Lord. Verse 12. For, for now, he's talking about now, in the, in the natural, we see in a mirror dimly. But then, but then face to face. When will we see face-to-face? -face? When the Bible was canonized? We won't see face-to-face -face when the Bible was canonized. He's talking about when we see him face-to-face. -face. But then we will see him face-to-face. -face. Now I know in part, knowledge, prophecy, in part. But then 
I shall know just as I am known by him. In other words, what I know in part now is going to be rendered useless when I see him face to face. So when that time comes, then is when prophecy will be useless because there's no need for me to give you a prophetic word from God because you're with God. There's no need for me to give you my human knowledge because we're opened up to heavenly knowledge. When that happens, tongues will cease. That's when tongues will cease. So do you understand now? It's not about when the Bible was canonized because we still need knowledge and we still need utterances from heaven. We still need, our knowledge is still in part. So now, let's go on to verse, in chapter 14. I can stay there, but i got to move on. So now Paul goes on to 14. He says, pursue love and desire spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. Pursue love and desire spiritual gifts. Desire. He said in chapter 12, verse 1, I don't want you to be ignorant about spiritual gifts. And verse, chapter 14, verse 1, he says, I want you to desire them. This is what we've got to recalibrate our thinking, that you don't say, well, if God wants me to have something, he will give it to me. No, he says, I want you to desire it. Pursue it. Go after it. For he who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men but to God. For no one understands him. However, in the spirit he speaks mysteries. But he who prophesies speaks edification and exhortation and comfort to men. He who speaks in a tongue edifies himself or herself. But he who prophesies edifies the church. Let me give you two benefits to speaking in tongues that the Apostle Paul gives us. He not only validates speaking in tongues, he just says it's a matter of fact, but he says, I'm going to give you two benefits to speaking in tongues and why you want to do it. Here's, look back in verse 2. For he who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men but to God. Tongues, again, is a Godward gift, not a menward gift. It's not, the focus of tongues is not to talk to people, it's to talk to God. But look what he says, what happens? For no one understands him, however, in the Spirit, he speaks mysteries. Here's the first benefit for praying in tongues. You speak mysteries from heaven. Mysteries or hidden truths. Here's what the word mysteries means there in the Greek language. means the content of that which has not been known before, but which, is, which has been revealed to a certain group of people. So a mystery is not something I cannot know. It's something that has to be revealed to me. And so when I pray in the Spirit, he's saying the words that I'm speaking those words that I'm releasing, those words are words directed from heaven that are speaking mysteries into my heart and into the earth. This is why. This is one of the benefits of, of speaking in tongues and what he's telling us here. Sudden, something not hidden from us but hidden for us. How many would like to have some mysteries or some hidden truths revealed to your life? I'm not talking about just churchy things. People are like, it's about how you need some mysteries on how to uh, finish that project at work that nobody can figure out. That's a mystery, a hidden truth, and God wants to reveal it to you. There's a marketing campaign that God wants to download into your heart that will revolutionize your business. There's, there's an idea that might change your management style. There's something that God wants to reveal to you, help you understand that algebra a little bit better. I'm saying you can pray in the Spirit and God can reveal mysteries to you. You're dealing with someone at work and you don't know how to work with them. You don't know how to communicate with them. You're not sure how to, how to get past this awkward. I just say stop and pray in the spirit for a little while and let, let God reveal the mystery to you on how to figure out that situation. Too many times praying in tongues has been limited to the church building and I'm telling you it needs to come out. 
It needs to come out. I'm not talking about in front of everybody. It needs to come out in a way that you're using it outside of church circles. It's a benefit to you. There's mysteries, there's truths that are not hidden from you. They're hidden for you. And God says if you'll come and you'll allow the Holy Spirit to come into your life and you'll pray in the Spirit, I'll show you some things that you can't know on your own. Hold your finger right there and go to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Oh, let me read this out of the Amplified Version. i got to get this. For one who speaks in an unknown tongue speaks not to men but to God, for no one understands or catches his meaning, because in the Holy Spirit he utters secret truths and hidden things not obvious to the understanding. What are we doing when we're praying in spirit? We're, we're uttering secret truths, hidden things that's not obvious to our understanding. Now hold your finger there. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, just a little bit to the left, to the left, to the left. Look at verse 9. I'm trying to cram all this in because this is the, this is the last installment. You need this. Because I want you to be praying in tongues confidently. I want you to pray in the Spirit confidently. Not sheepishly, like, oh, I'm not even sure that that's supposed to happen. We, we show you it's, it's absolutely for you. It's what God wants to do in your life. Here's why. But Verse 9. But as it is written, eye has not seen, nor ear heard, nor have entered in the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. The things that God has prepared for you in your life, your eyes haven't seen them, your ears haven't heard them. It's not even entered into your heart what God wants to do in your life. He's got things for you. Look at your neighbor and say, he's got things for you. He's got things for you. He's got things for you. But verse 10, so how are we going to get those things? How are we going to get those things? Verse 10 tells us, but God has revealed them, the things, to us through his what? Through his spirit. You got it. For the spirit searches how many things? All things. Yes, the deep things of God. Let me read that to you out of the Amplified Version. It really gets loud, Amplified. Here's what it says, verse 10. Verse 10 says this out of the Amplified Version. It says, yet to us, God has unveiled and revealed them by and through his Holy Spirit. For the Holy Spirit searches diligently, exploring and examining everything, even things at work, even things at home. He examines everything. Even sounding the profound and bottomless things of God, the divine counsels and the things hidden and beyond man's scrutiny. Notice what happened. These are the things that the Holy Spirit knows about. He knows about everything. And he wants to tell you. Can you imagine having all the secrets from heaven reserved for you? Well, I want to know them all right now. No, you don't. Trust me. We don't want to know him all right now. You just want him to give you on a need-to-know basis. God, just show me what I need to know. Go on, verse 11. For what man knows the things of a man except the spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, no one knows the things of God except the spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. How are we going to know the things which eye hasn't seen, ear hasn't heard? We're going to know them by the Holy Spirit revealing, revealing them to us. How does he reveal them to us? He reveals them to us through the mysteries. How do we do that? Look in verse 13. These things, these mysteries, these things reserved for us, we also speak. How do we speak things that we don't know about? How could we speak hidden mysteries and truths that we don't know about? It says these things we speak. Well, how do I know them if my eye hasn't seen, my ear hasn't heard, them, hasn't entered into my heart? How can I speak those things? Chad, how are you telling me to speak things that I don't even know about? 
Read the rest of the verse. He tells you. These things we also speak not in words which man's wisdom teaches. But in words, you can add that, but which the Holy Spirit teaches. So the Holy Spirit teaches us words that man's wisdom doesn't teach us. What could those words possibly be? Praying in the Spirit. Look what happens. Comparing spiritual things with spiritual, but be ready, be ready, but the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. When you begin to pray in the Spirit, it's telling you the things that you're speaking, they're going to be foolishness to your natural man. But just because they're foolishness to your natural man doesn't mean they're not of spiritual benefit. So go back. So the first benefit is speaking mysteries. Downloading hidden truths. Let's look at the second benefit in chapter 14. Go back to verse 3. But he who prophesies speaks edification, exhortation, and comfort to men. But he who speaks in a tongue edifies himself. Edifies himself or herself. But he who prophesies edifies the church. Here's the word edify. The word edify means to be a house builder. To build or to construct something. To increase the potential of someone. With focus upon the process. Everybody say process. Involved to strengthen, to make more able, to build up. Let me ask you. Looking at that definition, who doesn't need strengthened, built up, potential increased, or made more able? Who doesn't want that in their life? This is what he said. He who prays in a tongue edifies themselves. What's the benefit of praying in the Spirit? You edify yourself. You increase your potential. You you build yourself up. You add strength. You make yourself more able. All of this comes from praying in the Holy Spirit. Would you like to increase your potential? Then pray in the Spirit more. Would you like to be stronger? Spiritually? Pray in tongues more. Would you like to build up your abilities in the spirit? Pray in tongues more. That's what he's saying. That's what Paul's saying. Remember, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, St. Paul. He said the same thing. He said it's going to build you up. Jude 20 says this, but you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit. This is what we do. We want to build ourselves up in our most holy faith, praying in the spirit. Here's the second benefit of praying in tongues. It builds you up. It builds you up. You're like, well, I don't want it to be all about me. Paul said, build yourself up praying in the Holy Spirit. Well, I'm just not about me. I'm about others. Paul said. (laughs) Do you believe Paul was inspired by the Holy Spirit to write these things? He said, build yourself up. I believe all of us need to be built up. I I believe all of us need our our potential increased. Pray more in tongues. Pray more in tongues. So now, those are two benefits. Now, is there a proper time and place? Let's go ahead. Verse 5. Here's what Paul says. Remember, all of, all, of, all of sin falls short of the glory of God. Verse 5, I wish you all spoke in tongues. That's Paul. Paul wants everybody to speak in tongues. But, and that word but, I give you that in your definitions uh, on the Version Bible app. That's a conjunction word that most of the time is actually translated and. So it's not uh, something to contradict the previous statement. It's to add to the statement. So he says this, I wish you all spoke with tongues and even more that you prophesied. 
For he who prophesies is greater than he who speaks with tongues, unless indeed he interprets that the church may receive edification. Here's what he's talking about. Praying in tongues edifies you. Prophesying edifies people. So when you're around other people, I would rather you prophesy. The reason it's better is because people will understand it. Unless, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, you add the gift of interpretation with the gift of tongues, then now they're equally as good. Does that make sense? So he's not only saying that gift of tongues interpretation is valid. He's saying you should be doing it in the church. Make sure you have the interpretation. Otherwise, just prophesy. Speak in a known language. Let's go to verse 6. But now, brethren, if I come to you speaking with tongues, what shall I profit you unless I speak to you either by revelation, by knowledge, or by prophesying, or by teaching? So now, notice what happens in the scripture. Paul said, if I come to you and I just start talking to you in tongues, what, what is it going to benefit you? How's it going to profit you? You need revelation. You need understanding. Verse 7, even things without life, life, whether flute or harp, when they make a sound, unless they make a distinction in the sounds, how will it be known what is piped or played? For if the trumpet makes an uncertain sound, who will prepare for battle? So likewise you, unless you utter by the tongue words easy to understand. He's writing this letter to the church. Remember, How will it be known what is spoken? For you will be speaking into the air. There are, it may be, so many kinds of languages in the world, and none of them is without significance. Therefore, if I do not know the meaning of the language, I shall be a foreigner to him who speaks, and he who speaks will be a foreigner to me. In other words, he's talking to them in the church. I want you to make sure you're saying things that people understand. Here's the benefit. He's wanting to give a distinction. When you're in the church, it doesn't mean you never speak in tongues. He's saying, if you give a message in tongues, make sure it's interpreted so people can understand it. That's all he's saying. So now verse 12, even so you, since you are zealous for the spiritual gifts, let it be for the edification or the building up of the church that you seek to excel. Be zealous, be passionate for spiritual gifts, but make sure you're doing it so that you can benefit others. Build them up, add value to them. Verse 13, therefore let him who speaks in a tongue pray that he may interpret. If you're going to speak in tongues, if you're going to pray in tongues just for yourself, pray for the interpretation. Spend some time praying in tongues and say, God, now I just pray that you show me what I just prayed about. It's okay to pray for the interpretation because Paul said we could. Verse 14, for if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my understanding is unfruitful. This is the hang-up for most people when they start wanting to pray in tongues because they will start praying in tongues, they will not understand it with their mind, and they will stop doing it because it doesn't make sense. That's the biggest mistake in not continuing to pray in tongues. Paul said in the Bible, he said, when you pray in tongues, your spirit prays, but your mind is unfruitful. In other words, your mind does not get it. Too many times in our world, we think if our mind doesn't get it, it's not legit. We limit what God can do our life based on what we understand. Major mistake. Major mistake. Look what he says. It goes on. Verse 15. So what's the conclusion then? I'll pray in the Spirit. I'll also pray with understanding. I'll sing in the Spirit. I'll also sing with understanding. We can pray in the Spirit and we can pray in our known language. We can sing in the Spirit and we can sing in our known language. He's, Paul said, I'm going to do both. Sometimes I'm going to understand what I'm saying, and sometimes I'm not, but I'm going to do both. Because when I'm praying in the Spirit, I am downloading mysteries and hidden truths from heaven. 
I'm going to pray with what I know to pray, and then when I get beyond what I know to pray, I'm going to kick over into the Spirit, and I'm just going to pray in the Spirit for a while. Look at verse 16. Otherwise, if you bless with the Spirit, how many bless your food? It's when you pray for your food. If you pray with the Spirit, we know what praying with the Spirit is. That praying with the Spirit there or blessing with the Spirit does not mean praying spiritually in a known language. The previous verse told us what praying with the Spirit means. That means it's not praying with understanding. Are you okay? I'm just making sure you're grasping this because I want you to have firm ground when you believe in praying in tongues that it's not some fluky thing for only certain people. It's for you. It's as basic in the Bible as for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. He wants you to understand. He wants you to practice it. Look what he says in the next part. For otherwise, if you bless the Spirit, how will he who occupies the place of uninformed say amen at your giving of thanks since he does not understand what you say? For you indeed give thanks well, but the other is not edified. Verse 18, I like this statement Paul throws in there. I thank my God I speak with tongues more than you all, little braggart. It's like when Moses wrote in the Bible that he was the most humble man on the planet. But notice what he says, I thank God I speak in tongues more than you all. Did Paul think speaking in tongues or praying in tongues was pretty important? Wrote 13 books of the New Testament. You tell me if it was a benefit to him or not. Do you think it would benefit you? You may not be writing a New Testament today, but you're writing your testament. You're writing your life. How much better it would be to have the Holy Spirit inspiring you to know what to do, how to become the man or woman God created you to be. That's what the New Testament is about. This is Jesus in a book that if we understand this book, we will become who he is. So look, he goes on, yet in the church I would rather speak five words with my understanding that I may teach others than 10,000 words in a tongue. So in the church, this is why we emphasize you pray in the spirit all you want. But we get up, we're not going to do a lot of talking in tongues to you unless there's interpretation. Why? Because not because it's of the devil to not have it interpreted. It's just not going to help you to not have it interpreted. Let me jump down. Verse 26. A lot of good stuff here, but I don't have time. Um, verse 26. How is it then, brethren, when, whenever you come together, each of you has a psalm? Remember, he's writing to a church. Each of you has a psalm. You got a special song you want to sing? How many's ever been to a church service like this? Let me describe it to you. How many of you come together? Everybody wants you to sing a special? Everybody wants to teach a lesson? Everybody wants to give a message in tongues? Everybody has some great revelation they want to share with everyone? Everyone has their own interpretation of what, how things are ought to be ought to be. But he says, let all things be done for edification. If anyone speaks in a tongue, let there be two or at the most three, each one in turn, but let one interpret. But if there is no interpreter, let him keep silent in the church and let him speak to himself and to God. So if there's no interpreter on location, then there's no need to keep giving messages in tongues because nobody's going to get it. That's what he's writing to them. What was happening in the church of Corinth, they were getting up and everybody who operated in the gift of tongues would get up and keep giving messages in tongues and if no one was there to interpret it, they'd get up, give another message in tongues and just run them through. Everybody giving another message in tongues. And Paul said, hey, stop. Two at the most three. We're going all day. <laughs> said everybody can give a message in tongues but we got to shut, we got to land a plane somewhere. And if there's no interpreter, stop giving message in tongues. You're not helping anybody. That's what he's saying. Verse 31, 
For you can all prophesy one by one that all may learn and all may be encouraged. And the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. For God is not the author of confusion or disorder, but of peace as in all the churches of the saints. God's not wanting there to be confusion about the spiritual gifts. What I think a mistake has happened in some of the churches that believe in the gifts of the Spirit, they've not taught on it, they just wanted to demonstrate it. Demonstration without information leaves people with a lot of questions. And they start going, I don't know what that is, that's a little weird. Okay, well once you get taught the Bible, then you may still not grasp everything about it, but at least you know it's valid and it's there. So he's saying this, God's not the author of confusion. Jump down to verse 37. If anyone thinks himself to be a prophet or spiritual, let him acknowledge that the things which I write to you are the commandments of the Lord. But if anyone is ignorant, let him be ignorant. In other words, Paul's saying, I wrote all this to you about spiritual gifts and about praying in tongues, about speaking in tongues, and the right way to do it, the right order in the church. But if you want to be ignorant, stay ignorant. That's Paul, for God so loved the world, as John, but fall, for we all sin, fall short of the glory of God. St. Paul, for by grace are we saved through faith. St. Paul, he said, if you choose to be ignorant and say, you know what, I don't want anything to do with that tongues. He said, you can be ignorant if you want, but I've at least told you. You can't be ignorant because you don't have information. This is my heart for you. We don't require everyone to speak in tongues. You don't have to come up and perform to speak in tongues before you can join the church of misconception some people have had. But all I want to do is give you the information because no one ever gave me the information. I didn't know. I never heard. I never heard that I could build myself up on my most holy faith praying in the Holy Spirit. I never heard that I could build the potential in my life by praying. I didn't know that I could download mysteries from heaven by praying in tongues. I didn't know it. No one ever told me the value of it. They didn't tell me it's for me, so I I at least want to present it. What you do with it is totally up to you. Totally up to you. Because look what he says in verse 39. Therefore, brethren, desire earnestly to prophesy and do not forbid to speak with tongues. Let all things be done decently and in order. Here's what Paul was saying in that last word. He says, do not forbid to speak in tongues. So if you ever talk to someone, they say, well, absolutely, you shouldn't be speaking in tongues. It's not in the Bible. Take him to the scripture. Where Paul didn't require everyone to speak in tongues, he said, remember this distinction, I wish you all would speak in tongues. I wish you would. I'm inviting you. I'm inviting you to take advantage of the Holy Spirit. Remember Jesus said he's an advantage? I'm inviting you to take advantage of the Holy Spirit and what he will do in your life. But if you don't want to, you don't have to. But do not forbid the ones that do. Just because I choose not to and say, you know what, I don't want anything to do with that, don't turn around and say to others, you can't either. Nobody's making you, but sure enough, don't forbid the ones who embrace it and want to take advantage of the gift.